You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis. Arizona Fall League is underway, and that, of course, is one of our favorite parts of the entire year. Uh, some of the very best prospects in baseball down in Arizona facing each other over a six-week season. So uh, with that underway, we'll dig into the AFL a bit. And we have an interview with uh, Cardinals rookie outfielder Lars Newtbar, who is off to an early, fast start in the Fall League. Uh, we will also take a look back. Jim and Jonathan going to look back and reminisce about some of their favorite moments in their years covering the Arizona Fall League. And we'll wrap up by answering some questions in the mailbag. Uh, Jim and Jonathan, how many years now is this for you covering the Arizona Fall League? I think we've talked about this before. And <clears throat> Jim, you... You didn't. You haven't always gone to the fall league, even in, in your many years of covering the draft and prospects. The Arizona Fall League wasn't necessarily always on your beat. No, because when I was at Baseball America, a large part of my fall was doing the prospect handbook. So I, I didn't do a lot of fall league stuff. I would go out. I, I would just, and they're still doing it. The Baseball HQ Fantasy Symposium they would do in conjunction with AFL. I would sometimes go speak at that on behalf of Baseball American get in a little fall league but you know I think I had an inbox question about this last week asking about the best players I've seen but really not until I I got to MLB.com in the fall of 2013 have I have I gone regularly so bits and pieces before 2013 and and then a lot since then that was an excellent inbox question by the way I like that one um (laughs) I have been uh, I have been going forever. Um, I'm trying to remember if I went. So I started I started here in April of 1999. I don't know that I went to the fall league that first year, but probably starting in 2000. So uh, you guys know I don't do math, but I've gone every year since then except for obviously last year when there was no fall league. So it, uh, I, I, you know, there was a stretch of time where I was always going to the fall league in, you know, late October, November, and then in early and thinking, wow, this is like, it's so the weather is perfect. It's gorgeous. I could, you know, I could do this. And then I covered the all-star game in Arizona and it was 420 degrees. And I was like, nope. Okay. So I'll stick to coming for spring training in the fall league. The Fall League began in 1992. Does that sound right? That sounds right. So, Jonathan, you started going not quite a decade later. Um, I broke out the uh, Arizona Fall League facts, records and facts book here. Ooh. RBI leader from that first Arizona Fall League season, 1992. Former Royals great. Ken Harvey. Ken Harvey. Mm, Ken Harvey, he, something of a, a fall league legend, right? Did, was, didn't he have a big, it was not Ken didn't Harvey. Didn't he hit 404 or something? He had a, I mean, and then he used that as a springboard and was rookie, American League Rookie of the Year. The, yeah, the, the first year was 1992, by the way. Bob Hamlin. That's what he said. Oh, oh Bob I thought he Hamlin. said 1991. 92. Bob Hamlin was your uh, inaugural season RBI leader. Other other fall league RBI leaders include the great Andy Fox, Trammell, Bubba, Jermaine Dye, Jeff Jenkins, Carlos Lee. Some pretty big uh, names there. Mm-hmm. Ivan Coffey. Orioles prospect, right? That that is correct. C O F F I E, maybe? Exactly. Yes. Nice Man. Uh, Chip Cannon, who I believe was a fall league. MVP was he not? He was, and I I think I think didn't Chip Cannon overcome a club foot? I think he had a, a foot issue. Huh. 
Did not know that. I remember that when he was, I, I want to say he came out of the Citadel. That sounds right. Yes, that does sound right. Because I remember comparing him to, um, who was the Angels prospect uh, who also came from the Dallas Citadel? Dallas McPherson? Dallas McPherson, yeah. Who probably played in the Fall League. He did. So you guys have not been yet this year. Uh, Sam Dykstra has taken the first leg this year. Uh, but I know you guys have been paying close attention. We're only uh, not even a full week in yet through the first five games. Uh, we had we had 17 top 100 prospects overall to start. Uh, we lost, who'd we lose? We lost a top 100 prospect because it was down to 16 by the time the... Then I thought there was a late replacement, and I, I've forgotten. Um, it was somebody in the middle of the list because I can. This is exciting podcast uh, t- t- fodder. I, I can I can envision the list on Slack with a line through a guy in the middle of it, um, <laughs> <laughs> which is exciting. How's that for a podcast highlight? I'm going to find this. Um, no, I want to I want to I want to remember it before you before you find it because I can sort of uh, the guy with the line through his name. Yep, he had he had the strike through. Some poor dude had the strike through. It was uh, Riley Green. There you go. Oh, oh no, no, that wasn't even it. It was Garrett Mitchell. Oh, that was a while ago. Right. But Riley Green was like a last minute, like, oh, he's not, he's not there. Yeah, after I took him number one overall in our fan, in our total basis fantasy league. That's right. Unbelievable. Um, so yeah, as always, the league is just packed with prospects and so far a lot of the bigger names off to some pretty good starts and uh well the first week uh players of the week the hitter of the week that's brett Beatty, uh my number two pick in our fantasy league. To throw that in yeah uh he's been fantastic he's hitting in every game um and uh i don't know did you guys, you guys all, you passed on him. I feel bad for taking Spencer Torkelson and Tristan <laughs> like terrible picks. Yeah, but when you saw Brett Beatty's name on the fall league uh, rosters, um, did you expect he would have a good fall league? Did you expect maybe he had had a full? a full year and might be a bit done by this point of the season. Did it, what, what were your thoughts going into this? Is this, I, I love Brett Beatty as a prospect. You should know that I've, I've loved him since the draft. I thought he was one of the best high school hitters in his draft. I got worked up on several occasions about the whole age thing <laughs> right there with you. Uh, Brett Beatty's 19 and a half. We can't draft that guy. He's too old. I, I remember talking to teams. I talked to one team whose scouts thought he was one of the very best hitters in the entire draft. And because of their algorithm, they would not take him uh, in the draft in the first round. They wound up taking a, a younger player who struggled. I talked to another team that I knew was very analytically minded with the draft. And I said, you know, where are you guys on Brett Beatty? You know, and they said, we wouldn't take him. We wouldn't take him at all. You know, even if you got to, and they were picking late in the first round. And I said, well, what if he goes to Texas for two years and he's a draft eligible mm-hmm. sophomore and he tears it up with the Longhorns? What would you do in 2021? Oh, we'd take him in the first round. And, and that stuff just drove me nuts. Um, I, I just think, you know, talent's talent. You know, you, I don't know if you guys have heard of this prospect with the Royals shortstop named Bobby Witt Jr. You know, he was 19 at draft time. Like, were we not supposed to take him? I, I could go on for an hour and I won't about how the age thing. I, I get how it's a factor. But talent should be a factor, too. And I'll, I'll take a 19-and-a-half-year-old kid who can really, really hit and hit against the best competition he faced. Um, so I'm not surprised at all that he's tearing it up in the fall league. And, I mean, he's the type of guy who usually does well in the fall league. I mean, the guys who are advanced hitters, you know, generally the pitching isn't as strong as they're going to see during the minor league season. So I'm, I'm not shocked at all. And, in fact, Jason, you, you referenced our draft. I was hoping – he would slide to my third pick, but you picked him right in front of me. So um, I, I, I was on him. I just not not quite high enough. I was on him like he was some sort of secret. Um, <laughs> he was. I had done all kinds of secret scouting. It. Uh, I mean, that's the thing. Like I can't say that I put you know 
so much thought into like, well, I'm not going to take him here, you know, but he, uh, you know, he, I guess, you know, he only played 91 games during the year. I, th- I actually thought he had played more games than that, but uh, it was a fairly full year. I just, you know, I didn't take him with my first pick and so be it. Um, but yeah, well, you were so trying I, to take guys who don't get total bases, right, Jonathan? Yeah. Well, I'm succeeding then. Uh, isn't, isn't the contest to get the lowest <laughs> amount? Um, because total bases, you don't want a high number. Um, I think I have that right. Yeah, I mean, the funny thing is with Beatty, and you know, often uh, I let Jim stand on his own soapbox when he gets you know vehemently upset. But the age thing, I'm, I've been right there with him all along, and now here we have a guy who's, you know, made it to Double A, and he's 21. So now he's he's like super young, and he he hit well, and now he's hitting well. Uh, in the fall league. And I think, you know, you could see him in New York at some point in 2022 at age 22, um, where, you know, we went from like, oh, he's too old, we can't take him to being on the young side and getting to the big league. So kudos to the Mets for uh, for taking him. And he's been, it's just, I feel like every time I look at a box score, he's picked up an extra base hit or at least a, you know, a base hit. And and uh, even when even his outs have been loud, uh, Will Bohr had a story on him and he had, you know, multiple hundred plus mile per hour outs. You know, so he, he is locked in right now. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping he's still going strong by the time I, I get out there. Ancient Brett Beatty, <clears throat> three years younger than the typical player in double A this year. So like that, that age really matters, apparently. He is uh, he racked up eight hits in his first five games and 18 at bats, three doubles, a triple, uh, also four walks to five strikeouts. Um, No homers, though. What's going on there? He he reached base all five times in his first game. Yeah, yeah. His his uh, his 615 baby. That's that's probably sustainable, right? I think so. All right, and then on the pitching side of things, uh, this is a guy that we talked about last week, uh, came out and had a fantastic start. Uh, Owen White, the Arizona Fall League Pitcher of the Week for Week 1, went five innings, allowed two hits, two walks, and five strikeouts, and this is a guy that we just have not really seen at all to this point. Yeah, I mean, he. it's been kind of a, a weird pro career for Owen White so far. He was another guy who I loved in the 2018 draft. I thought he was one of the more athletic and projectable high school pitchers in the draft. Good delivery, multi-sport guy. And it's just another like evidence for me that it's hard to keep pitchers healthy because the Rangers had this plan with him and Cole Wynn and Mason Englert, all high school pitchers they took in the first four rounds of 2018, they didn't come out and pitch in pro ball their first year. They worked on strength and conditioning and mechanical stuff and getting acclimated to pro ball and this deloading program that was going to keep them healthy. And then White and Englert both blew out in the spring before they threw a pitch um, in, in, a, in a minor league game. So Owen White missed all of 2019 recovering from Tommy John surgery. There's no minor league season 2020. He finally gets to make his his pro debut in a game this May. And at the end of the game, he's frustrated and he slams his pitching hand on the mound and he breaks his hand and misses a couple more months. So he's only pitched 35 innings in, in pro ball coming into the fall league. Um, you know, had a nice five inning scoreless start. But, you know, he showed you the stuff that he had in high school and that he's flashed when you've seen him. As a pro, you know, it's a mid-90s fastball. I think there's a little bit more velocity maybe in there, too. He has a pair of promising breaking pitches that need more consistency. He's got feel for change. He throws strikes. I think Owen White could could really be something if he can stay healthy. Uh, you know, the hand thing was kind of fluky. He's had Tommy John now, but, like, he'd, he'd be in my short list of guys. I'm really curious to see what he does with a, with a fully healthy 2022. Or maybe he uses this as a springboard, um, you know, if he has a full allotment of starts. It, it's been interesting to see. I mean, we've had uh, two guys go five innings right out of the gate. Several guys have gone four innings. Uh, and it used to be that, you know, that was very rare. 
And I, I'm, I'm guessing just because the minor league season will, you know, ran later um, that these guys, you know, hadn't been sitting around for the, the weeks and weeks that it used to be and then getting ramped back up. So, you know, uh, typically in the past starters would, at least at the very beginning, we go two and then maybe they'd sort of gradually get up to going four and maybe you'd see a five inning start here or there if it was a guy who, you know, had been hurt and missed a lot of time and things like that. But, you know, it's been interesting to see guys go longer right out of the gate. Uh, and, you know, especially for a guy like Owen White, who has missed so much time. I mean, the more mound time he can get against a higher level of competition, uh, you know, will help sort of close the gap of all that development time he's missed. Yeah, it looks like uh, out of what, 15 games, five five games uh, each so far, uh, there have been seven pitchers who have gone at least four innings, so uh, including uh, Hans Kraus, uh, Juan Ben, uh, Evan Fitterer, a couple other uh, pitchers who have fared very well that we want to talk about here. Uh, both of them, uh, now Jim and Jonathan, I had you guys pick a hitter and pitcher that you wanted to talk about who are off to good start so far. You chose pitchers who have nearly identical numbers, two games each, five innings each, one hit allowed each, no earned runs each, three walks each, and 10 strikeouts each. Same exact average against, whip, ERA, Cole Henry and Zach Thompson. Um, and these guys uh, now very similar in terms of the numbers so far that they've put up in the fall league, but very different in terms of the success they had during the regular season this year. Yeah, I'll, I'm, I'll go first, I guess. Uh, you know, Cole Henry pitched very well, but missed a lot of time. And that kind of, I think that sums him up as, as a pitcher, uh, even in his amateur days, uh, he struggled with with arm problems, elbow issues, uh, had an elbow strain this year. So he he was very good, um, you know, largely in high A, uh, you know, struck out almost 13 and a half per nine overall for, for the year, but only through 47 innings because of, of the injuries. But the stuff is, uh, has always been good. Uh, you know, three pitch mix with the fastball curve and change up. Uh, you know, throwing super hard. Quick, uh, quick quiz. He's from Alabama. Uh, went to Florence High School. What other big league pitcher slash former prospect went Braxton also Garrett. went? Yeah, yeah. I knew you know would know that one very. Isn't quickly. Braxton Garrett's dad the coach there too? Maybe correct. Um, yeah, that is that is absolutely correct. And so Cole Henry was a good you know he was a good prospect then. Um, but he had, he had the commitment to LSU, uh, and, uh, you know, he was a, a draft eligible sophomore, but had injury problems there. So that, you know, that, that impacted him. The stuff has always been there. So the fact that he's gone out and thrown well here, uh, is not surprising. Uh, it's just a matter of him staying healthy and getting innings, you know, and he's going to use this time in Arizona to springboard up to the upper levels and, and you know, the nationals really see him as one of their uh, better pitching prospects, you know, and they've got a couple of other guys who've also had some injuries. Jackson Rutledge is out there. Kate Cavalli, uh, you know, is, is very, very good. And, the, you know, they don't see that much difference between Cole Henry and his stuff and those guys. Uh, it's just a question of him being able to, to stay on the mound and, and, and get enough development time so he can keep moving up the ladder and get to Washington. Yeah. And, you know, Zach Thompson, probably very excited to get the opportunity to pitch in the fall league because he had a, a terrible regular season. You know, he, he was a guy who, you know, first heard about him when he was in high school in Indiana, had some physical issues. So he wound up not signing, it contributed to that a little bit, wound up going to Kentucky, had some arm problems as a sophomore, came out, had a really nice junior year, goes in the first round of the draft to the Cardinals, you know, debut, you know, pitched a few innings. Then obviously last year there's no season you know, the, the Cardinals made an aggressive decision. He, he had pitched 13 innings in high A before the pandemic shut down. They sent him to AAA this year, you know, big jump, 
And he was frankly awful in AAA. He had a, a 706 ERA. Um, league hit more than 300 off him, 18 homers and 93 innings, had problems throwing strikes, walked 57 guys. Um, and it was, it was really kind of a mess. His stuff was down. You know, a guy who who kind of sat 92, 95, was, was pitching in the high 80s for, for part of the year, uh, for, for a big part of the year. His stuff wasn't as – his secondary pitches weren't as sharp. Um, and so far, so good, you know, in the, in the AFL, he's made two longer relief appearances, walked three guys in the second appearance, but, but that's pretty much been the only damage he's given up. No runs in five innings, like Jason mentioned, 10 strikeouts. And, 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 you know, again, yeah, you know, we talk about this all the time, Jonathan, like it's cool seeing guys in the fall league. I'm more interested in, in how they do it than the actual numbers because the competition can vary, especially hitters facing lesser pitching. But, but Thompson, he's not just putting up numbers, you know, on the stat sheet, the stuff's looking good. He, he's back to 92, 95, the curveball and changeup are flashing plus. So he's looking, you know, I, I don't know what the magic elixir was, but he's back to looking at least through five Arizona fall league innings, like the guy, that we saw at Kentucky in 2019, who the Cardinals took 19th overall. So, you know, again, we, we still have five weeks left, but Zach Thompson and the Cardinals have to be really pleased with, with how his AFL is starting off. All right, and shifting to a couple of hitters, also off to good starts in the fall league, Justin Foscue, uh, four hits in his first 11 at-bats, including a couple doubles and a home run, and Bryson Stott. Uh, Phillies prospect uh, with five hits and 12 at bats, including three doubles and eight walks to tack on to that. Um, Jim and Jonathan, I know uh, these are a couple of players that you guys are interested in, in seeing once you get out to the fall league. Uh, Jonathan Bryson Stott. Yeah, I mean, he, you know, he's a guy who I keep thinking that um, he's going to end up being a better big leaguer. <clears throat> Excuse me. I get all choked up when I talk about my Phillies prospects. Um, that uh, he may be a bit better big leaguer than he is a prospect. And listen, he's in the top 100, but he's he's always been kind of like on that edge because he's been, you know, he's been good, but not great. He had a, he had a good year this year, moved up levels, hit in each place. Uh, I mean, Reading is a good place to hit. Uh, but he hit everywhere in double A. And even when he got bumped up to triple A, he hit there. And I think, you know, to Jim's point about what the, you know, when the numbers in the fall league, you, you do have to take them all with a grain of salt, good or bad, right? You know, Mike Trout was terrible in the fall league because he was completely worn out when he was there. Uh, you know, we, you mentioned Chip Cannon, who was the MVP of the fall league. And do you remember what he did in the big leagues? Exactly. So, you know, you take it all with a grain of salt, but, you know, Stott has a really advanced approach at the plate. Um, you know, the, the, the walks and the plate discipline are legit. I mean, he's not going to sustain a 650 on base percentage in his career, but I think it speaks to what he can do. He can run. He's got a couple of stolen bases. You know, I, I think, uh, you know, he's a solid shortstop. He'd be really good at second base, depending on you know where the Phillies need, and he's just about ready to help out in Philadelphia. So I think there are a lot of fans in, in in Philly who are watching what he does to see if this can be used as a a way to to get him ready and uh, you know have him contribute to to that big league team at at some point next year, if if not right out of the gate. You know, Foskey's a guy who. You know, he's also making up for lost time. You know, we talked about Owen White, another Ranger. You know, Foskey was a first-round pick in 2020. You know, obviously because there was no minor league season, didn't get to play any pro ball that year. And he, and he came out and he got hurt pretty early this season. He had a rib issue. Um, wound up only playing 62 games this year. But, you know, he hit 17 homers in those 62 games. Hit 14 homers in 33 games in high A. Tailed off a little bit in double A. Homered in eight straight games at one point, and and he's been on fire. You know, early on in the fall league, you know, four for eleven with three extra base hits, three walks. You know, offensive minded guy. You know, another guy who I think can move fast. You know, provided he stays healthy, and and no reason to think he won't. You know, the the rib injury was not anything you know chronic that should plague him going forward. You know, I, I think we could see him in the big leagues 
by the end of next year. He'll probably start the year in Double A, but he's a he's a very uh, you know offensive minded uh, second baseman. Um, you know, a little bit of a Jeff Kemp type profile. I'm not going to say he's going to be a borderline Hall of Famer, but he's he's you know he's a, a power hitting second baseman kind of average defensively and, and, and speed wise. But uh, you know it'll be interesting. You know, at Mississippi State, he and Jordan Westberg were probably the best double play combination in the country in 2020. Um, you know, the college season ended abruptly too. They didn't get a chance to try to get to the College World Series, which Mississippi State won after they left this year, but both Foscu and Westberg, I think we're going to see, you know, Westberg's with the Orioles. We're going to see those guys in the big leagues pretty quick. All right. So we've discussed Brett Beatty, Justin Foscu, Bryson Stott, another hitter who is off to quite a start in the Arizona fall league is Cardinals outfielder Lars Newtbar, who, as we're recording this, has homered three times in his first four games. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, Sam Dykstra is going to talk to Lars Taylor Tatsuji Newtbar. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Normally, I ask guys who play spring training in Florida what it's what it's like being in Arizona. You're a Pac-12 guy, right. see guy. Right. What's it like being back here? Yeah, no, it's 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 nice. You know what I mean? Especially it's October in Arizona. It's not you <laughs> right. know July or August, so the weather's not too brutal. But uh, it's definitely different. You know, obviously playing in Memphis and St. Louis this year, and then Jupiter, like you said, or uh, Jupiter in uh, spring. It's it's more of a uh, humid air. Right here, it's, it's a little drier, but um, but yeah, it's definitely nice. Yeah, what memories do you have of playing road games here? Um, I mean, we finished my season my freshman year at Arizona State. Uh, didn't play here growing up at all, so this is like okay. the first time that I'm really traveling through the uh, through the spring training facilities, everything like that, which is you know it's pretty cool to see. But uh, but yeah, you know, had some good games out in Arizona. Definitely enjoyed my time, you know, during the Pac-12 playing against these guys. Yeah, you were one of the most unique players here in that you have major league experience. Right. Not only that, you got enough to graduate from rookie status. So what is it like just coming here, having had that experience? Yeah, it's awesome. You know what I mean? And being able to take a step back and then get, get some consistent at-bats, consistent innings, um, it's definitely nice. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely an environment change. You know, obviously last time when I was playing in the, in the with the Cardinals, it was at you know, Dodger Stadium for the 50,000. We're here, it's a little different, but it's definitely nice to, to be able to step in the box and have consistent at-bats and uh, kind of just get my feet wet before the offseason. Yeah, and when did the Cardinals come to you and say, this is something we want you to do? It was sometime in early September. They told me that they were thinking about doing it, and so we were kind of, you know, we didn't know exactly what was going to happen with the postseason and everything like that, so it wasn't completely uh, locked in until, you know, recently, but um, I kind of came to the conclusion that if we didn't make it, which unfortunately we're not so playing, but uh, if we weren't going that deep, then I'd probably make my way out here. Yeah, and what kind of instructions did they give you at that point, or was it did it not come until after you left the wild card game? Uh, instructions is in like just what they want you to work on while you're here. Oh yeah, I mean it was it was mainly uh, they talked to me in September when they when they approached me about it. They just said they wanted that bats. Obviously, in 2020 being canceled, and then with me getting called up uh, June this year, uh, yeah, bats just weren't there consistently throughout the whole season. So they just thought that it would be best for for me to get some that bats here, just kind of fill that void of you know the lack thereof of you know with that bats. So um, you know I, I took a step back and kind of thought about it a little bit and was on the fence, but then thought you know probably best that, that I come out here. Yeah, and, and you talk about making that debut in, in June. Um, what was your call-up story? Like, what was it like finding out that you were making that jump, especially you were a guy who didn't get to play in 2020, right. at least regular games? Right. No, it was, it's, it was unbelievable. Uh, we were on the road, and um, we were in Toledo, and it was an off day, and, you know, I was just kind of getting ready to go, you know, have another series in Toledo, and then 
Uh, dropped a call from my AAA manager to let me know that I was going to be called up. Uh, Mo called me and also let me know that, you know, we're be selecting my contract. And uh, pretty emotional day. Uh, called my brother, called my parents, called my sister, called everybody, you know, let them know that, you know, it was happening. And then obviously, you know, the, the roller coaster that happens after that is kind of a flood of, of different things. But uh, definitely a day I'll never forget. Yeah, and what were you putting in at Memphis that you feel like showed that major league readiness? Yeah, I mean, I still, I think I, I showed the consistency that I was showing in the minors where it was just, you know, good at bats, you know, doing the same things that I usually do, you know, contact, whatever. But then I, I thought I, I showed them that I was, you know, kind of tapping into my power a little bit more. That, something, that was something that I kind of wanted to do coming into this season. Um, was kind of showing that I could do that, and you know, just like like I said, just have good at bats, play good defense, do everything right, you know, every single day on a consistent basis. And uh, you know, I thought that they just you know took value in that, and that's kind of you know the difference between the year before or the two years before. Then you know. yeah, and what were you doing to, to show that power more? It's more it's one thing to say like I just wanted to show power, and it's yeah. another thing to put it into your game. What do you feel like? developmentally you were doing to allow that to happen in 20 during the, during the time that the time down me and my buddy uh john we we just kind of uh went to work you know during the whole covid shutdown we just kind of didn't stop and we were hopping fences climbing you know climbing over fences try to find somewhere to play and, and train and that's kind of what we did and and kind of developed some bat speed and made a little quick you know mechanical adjustments that I've kind of continued to do um, throughout these past couple seasons. So um, I think that's been the main thing for me. You know, changing my approach a little bit, just um, mechanical, mental, everything, kind of adjustments. I honestly think that uh, the time off in 20 really benefited me to you know kind of take a step forward in my game as opposed to just keep doing the same thing and training the same way. Yeah, and at what point did it feel like that was actually locking in? Was it the Major League call-up? Was it even before that in the spring? It, it, it was before that. I, you know, I'd seen some strides in the training where we were keeping we were keeping numbers, we were keeping data on, on, you know, my improvements. And although I wasn't implemented during the games, I could see that my numbers were getting better. You know, I was getting more consistent in those. And then obviously, you know, going out and playing in the spring and then in Memphis, you know, it was kind of... Every every week I would have a I would have a call with him to see you know how my bats were going and you know how things were going and it just seemed like I was you know being able to I had a better idea of my swing I had a better idea of my approach um, and then obviously the results were not necessarily the numbers that are on the back of a baseball card but different stats that you know I was looking forward to that are more controllable I, I felt that were were getting better so uh, I was kind of happy with that and that's that was kind of the main thing that we were focusing on. Gotcha. Yeah and before you were talking about the kind of ups and downs of your major league season what did you learn about yourself playing at that level for a long time? Yeah I mean I learned that it's, it's definitely attainable and it's success obviously is uh is earned and definitely not given at that level you know, it's, it's, it's a place where you can get humbled but it's definitely a place that you know you can have your successes for sure if you stick to a, if you stick to a routine and you know kind of stay within yourself um awesome experience awesome guys you know obviously all the vets really helped me out this year a ton but um yeah you know you <laughs> there's obviously struggles i got options three different times and you kind of you take a look in the mirror every single time that happens and every single day and, and try to you know learn from your mistakes and uh you know i think that was that was a really good thing for me honestly and it was a growing it was a growing moment for me um to go through those ups and downs but uh and then, you know, have a change in environment to really you know, change my mental. And, uh, but yeah, um, that's, that's about it. Yeah. yeah, I guess we'll, we'll pause it now for now for the anthem. Okay. Just to... Now you're leading the Arizona Fall League in home runs. So in terms of figuring stuff out about yourself and implementing it here, how do you feel like things have taken off just yeah. in this first week? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's going well. You know, obviously there's some things that I do want to, you know, do want to change a little bit, and, and that's why I'm here. Should kind of work on some things and trying to experiment. Um, but yeah, no, I feel like it's a, you know we have a good group of guys, which is nice, great coaching staff, and they help me out and uh, blew up my hitting coach too. So that's been, that's been nice too because I can work on different things in the mornings and stuff and go and hit. Um, yeah, no, I feel like it's going well. Uh, obviously, still want to make some adjustments, but this is a great time, honestly, for me to develop. I feel like literally every single facet of my game could get better, and so being able to try to do this in a competitive but different setting than the regular season uh, I think that's you know super beneficial for me right now um, so I'm super excited for the opportunity but yeah you know first week's been good all the guys are great you know it's just a good environment out here good competition so uh, looking forward to it for yeah sure. speaking of experiments you're trying is there anything specific you can kind of get into about what's uh, clicking anyways yeah I mean I just I mean just you know approach wise kind of you know and then also like different different drills that I'm able to do 
you know, during the day that I usually don't really, may not have time during the regular season, you know, whether it's, you know, machine work before a game or machine work, you know, if we have a night game in the morning or whatever it is like that. So just kind of, I'm trying to do as much as my off-season training while still playing here. So um, that's kind of, that's kind of what I'm doing right now. And then uh, just, you know, do a little, like, like when we're in the cage, you know, and if I'm training with my buddy that, um, things that I'm tweaking in there, I can just try to experiment here and then see, you know, actually see if I like it in the game. If not, then, you know, I can just scratch it. But uh, it's kind of a unique opportunity for me to be able to do that at the same time, train and kind of play at the same time. Gotcha. All right, so just two more that we'll end on. This week it was announced, you know, Mike Schultz was let go. Yeah. He's the only manager you've had right. in major leagues. What was your reaction to that? And, and trying to find a place, you know, going next spring, you're going to have a different manager. Right. Yeah, no, I was definitely surprised. And uh, I, I, I literally I had no idea. All of a sudden I checked my phone. Some of the guys in the group chat were texting about it. They didn't really know what was going on either. So I think it took most of us by surprise. Um, yeah, you know, like you said, he's the only manager I've ever played for, and I had no problems with him. I, I really did enjoy my time with with, uh, with Skip. He was a great guy, he treated me very well. I thought that, uh, you know, he was fair to everybody, but obviously, you know, they decided to make a change. So, you know, I, I, I believe that, you know, they know way more than I do. And I, like you said, I was my first manager. I'm just a rookie. That's was kind of, you know, keep stay afloat, stay right. afloat for you know for the first year. But, uh, but yeah, you know, I, I was definitely surprised. But you know. It is what it is. And like you said, next spring, you know, there's going to be a new manager, and the only thing that I can control is, you know, what I do and, and different things like that. So I'm taking some of the guys, but yeah, I'm just looking forward to the offseason and hopefully going into spring seamlessly and then, you know, fighting for a spot where you got a little taste of postseason baseball, and I definitely want to go back there. Right. And just to end on this one, I saw a social media interview with you with the Cardinals where you previewed there might be a, a candy bar coming. <laughs> a, what is that? What is the status of that? And B, just what is it like to be embraced by the Cardinals fans the way oh that? you kind of became a fan? Favorite. Oh, my God. It's, it's, it's been unbelievable. I mean, that fan base has treated me so great. That city's treated me so great for the small amount of time that I've been there. So, uh, I, I, I really, really do love my time there, and it's, it's been so amazing. I've had such a great experience with them. But uh, in terms of the candy bar, yeah, I just we just trademarked my last name when I walked up there and heard new for the first time. It fires me up every single time I go to the dish in St. Louis. Um, that fan support is freaking awesome. But, um, but yeah, so we're thinking about making a little, little candy bar that you know, might be on the healthier side for athletes to take and stuff yeah. like that. So uh, we're looking forward to doing something fun with it. Um, Right now, we're in the very, very early stages, kind of still figuring it out, just trademark it just to make sure. But uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to having some fun with it. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Our thanks to Lars Newtbar for joining us on the show today. Uh, and thanks to Sam Dykstra for conducting that interview down in the Arizona Fall League. And guys, Lars Newtbar... Interesting uh, situation here with a guy who, were he not uh, in the fall league right now, well, had the Cardinals won their wild card matchup against the Dodgers, he could be playing, at least be on the roster uh, in the NLCS instead of playing in the Arizona Fall League. Uh, happy to have the opportunity to play in the fall league, obviously, but uh, I think he'd probably, if he had his druthers, be in the NLCS, but uh, an interesting player in terms of, you know, making it to the big leagues without really ever making much noise on his way there in terms of his prospect status. Yeah, I mean, he was a, an eighth-round pick out of Southern Cal, you know, big physical guy who controlled the strike zone well, um, but he never really drove the ball, like, early on in his pro career. Um you know, I, I think he made some swing adjustments during the pandemic layoff so he could try to hit the ball harder, more consistently. You know, still not a slugger, but he but he did drive the ball better than ever in AAA this year and got the opportunity with the Cardinals. And, 
you know, kind of interesting to see. I mean, again, he's not a top, top prospect, but I mean, already a big leaguer, you know, carved out a role for him on the Cardinals and, you know, three game, three home runs leading the Arizona fall league through four games, kind of a, a cool early season story out there. He seems like a, like a very typical Cardinals drafty, you know, this college guy, late round pick who kind of flies under the radar, either as a drafty or even as a prospect and then comes up and ends up being a big league contributor, you know, uh, I don't know that he's going to end up being Matt Carpenter or anybody like that in terms of a contribution, but just uh, they seem to find guys late in the draft uh, who end up adding value to teams that compete, you know, for the postseason pretty much annually. The Cardinals have a pretty interesting contingent out there in the fall league with uh, Newt Barr and Juan Yepes. Uh, who are kind of in one category, and then Nolan Gorman in another, and all, all three of them off to pretty good start in the early going. All right, guys, uh, we talked earlier about your many years covering the Arizona Fall League. You guys have been going out there each year, um, each of you for quite a while now. And with the start of the season underway, we wanted to take a look back and talk about some of your all-time favorite fall league memories. Uh, Jonathan, you've been going out there the longest. Why don't you start? Okay. It's funny because I have a tendency to kind of combine memories of performances and also just interactions with, with people. So, you know, Jason, you and I joke all the time about, you know, Howie Kendrick writing movie reviews for us. Um, and, and, and doing that or, you know, when we, we had a couple of years, we were getting, you know, a blog for every single team and like sort of navigating through, uh, through all of that was, was fun. Um, finding out that Curtis Granderson is like really, really into Halloween. Um, that, that always was a thing where, you know, for the last several years where guys would dress up and take batting practice in costume, um, things like that. Uh, so, my two like main memories are of guys. One one is definitely performance based, but I'll start with Sergio Romo. Was a combination. Uh, he was in the fall league in two thousand seven, and was completely unknown to to me at the at the time. He was a late round pick out of junior college. Uh, he had, was coming off a year where he had just moved to the the bullpen first for the first time, but he pitched in high A. He pitched very well in the fall league, you know, mind you. You know, low ERA struck out a bunch of guys and. By the next year, he was in the big leagues and went on to win three rings with the Giants. Never, hasn't given up a run in the World Series. I mean, so he's had this great career, but he also was like the team prankster. And I just remember the last day, I think, of the regular season that year at Scottsdale Stadium, looking out and seeing clothes on the flagpole. And he had taken like the clubhouse guys' regular clothes and run them up the, the flagpole. Which for Sergio Roma was a sign of you know respect, like you, know, you belong, you're part of the team, because that's kind of what his 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 deal was. But that you know he 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 used the fall league to put himself on the map and was pitching meaningful baseball for for the Giants for years, and you know con- continues now to to this day. My other memory goes back to 2005. Uh, for a right-hander who at the time was known as Jamie Shields, but you know, once he became a big leaguer, he had to be more serious and was James. But another guy who was kind of under the radar, uh, did not have, even in the fall league, did not have like huge stuff, um, but was very effective, uh, was very efficient. And he pitched in the championship game for... I want to say it was the, for, for Phoenix. Yes, it was for Phoenix. Uh, they had a stretch, I think, where Phoenix won like two or three Fall League championships in a row. And we were doing some kind of broadcast. I want to say we had one high home camera, and that was about it. It was just online, and I was the sideline reporter. And he had come off. He, he pitched very well in the Fall League. Uh, 174 ERA in 31 innings. He walked two and struck out 29. Um but he was he was living off of his changeup, and I remember in the championship game, I, I you know I, I have no way of checking this, but I think he went seven innings in the championship game, but he must have thrown like sixty five pitches, um, and in in working the the dugout, I just 
you know, the both dugouts. I remember going to the opposing team and he was one of those pitchers that they just were shaking their heads because they could not figure out why they weren't hitting him because he wasn't, you know, wasn't throwing super hard then. And he was, uh, if you told me that he threw 60% changeups, I would almost believe it. And they were, they just could not get him timed and, you know, weak contact on the ground, you know, quick at bats, he's filling up the strike zone and like guy after guy coming back to the just shaking their head. And, uh, you know, he went deep into that game and, the, and they won the title game. And then, you know, the next year, uh, in 06 is when he made it to the, to, to the big leagues. And, and obviously a couple of years later, you know, helped the, the Rays make it to the world series. Nice memory there, Jonathan. He, uh, Shields did, in fact, pitch uh, into the seventh inning. He went six and two-thirds. Wow. Allowed one run on five hits, struck out five, uh, facing a lineup that included uh, famous movie reviewer Howie Kendrick <laughs> uh, and uh, his teammate at the time, Brandon Wood, um, who at that point was maybe the premier slugging prospect in the it game. Has That's the fall league record for homers. Um, would this be Billy Butler? There's a Butler in the lineup. Probably. Was it surprise? I was surprised. No, uh, it was, yeah, it was the surprise Scorpions. So then it was Billy Butler. That's a good lineup. The, uh, yeah, the top 10 prospects as rated by baseball America that year out of the fall league. Um, Oh yeah, it looks like uh, looks like Alex Gordon was in that lineup as well. The uh, top ten prospects in the league that year: Brandon Wood, Alex Gordon, Ryan Zimmerman, Howie Kendrick, Stephen Drew, Jared Saltalamacchia, Ian Stewart, Lastings Millage, Chris Young, uh, the outfielder, and Scott Matheson. Uh, so a pretty good crew of players there, and yeah, three out of the top four were in that surprise lineup. So. James Shields already big game James at that yeah, point. There you go. And just so you know, I keep talking, we keep talking about Howie Kendrick and his movie reviews. He hit 380 in the fall league that year. While just, reviewing movies. While reviewing movies. Yeah. So double I, duty, uh, had an ops over a thousand. Um, yeah. So that was, yeah, I had forgotten how good, how good that lineup was. I just remember that James Shields completely dominated and they couldn't figure out why. Strange memory from, 16 years ago now i can remember you saying that howie kendrick could roll out of bed and hit 300 and this is a guy with uh batting championships in his future which may not have necessarily come true but certainly a very successful career yeah all right jim uh take us back in time yeah i won't go as way back uh for reasons discussed to begin the podcast but um I guess my two memories that jump out immediately were, were home runs. I, I remember at the fall stars game in 2018, uh, we were all excited to see Nate Pearson pitch, uh, for the blue Jays. He ramped his fastball up to 104 miles an hour at one point in the first inning. And when he was facing Pete Alonzo, he, he only got it up to 103. and, and Pete Alonzo, I'm looking at my story here from the game, turned it back around at 110 and crushed it and and everybody was ooing and awing and i think at the time it was harder than any pitch Statcast had ever recorded being hit for a home run um pretty impressive and and, and jonathan you probably remember with alonzo that year that was a year i think he tied for the minor league lead or led the minor leagues in home runs but there was still some question you know because he wasn't a real good first baseman as to how much of a prospect he was and he had a great fall league um I think he might've led the fall league at homers or, or fallen one short, but he, you know, that was the prelude to his, his huge rookie season mm-hmm. where he kind of put himself on the map. And, and it, that was a pretty cool moment at that, uh, at that fall stars game. And, and it, and both my memories that, that jumped to mind were from, from that same season in 2018 in the championship game that year, we had, we, we didn't just have a walk-off home run, by Braxton Davidson to, to win it for the Peoria Javelinas. But I remember doing the broadcast, uh, Steven Nelson actually like predicted the home run. He said something like, you know, he could go deep here. You know, he's got big power and he home run the next pitch, but I don't think I've ever seen a walk-off home run where the guy injured himself, uh, running the bases. I remember Kenner's Morales in the big leagues. 
getting hurt at home plate celebrating. Right in the celebration. But Davidson, I think somewhere between second and third. I mean, he he crushed the ball at Scottsdale Stadium into that like right field patio area. And I think when he was rounding second, I don't know how he did it, but he 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 barely could make it from third to the plate and then had to be helped off the field with two people afterwards. So he he was he injured himself. He was not injured in the celebration. Quick quiz. Do either of you know the only other player to hit a walk-off home run in AFL championship game history? Hmm. Is I this a pre-date? Can you give us a time frame? I will give you, oh, it was about, you know, 15 to 20 years earlier. Same organization, the Braves. Legendary minor league home run hitter. 433 career homers in the minors, 14 in the big leagues. Oh, um, Mike Hessman? Mike Hessman in 2001 walked it off uh, as well. Wow. Um, and then I, I I was looking this up. So I was, I mean, I, Braxton Davidson was a former first round pick. I actually, the first time I saw Braxton Davidson was when I went to one of my first assignments for MLB.com, I, I went to the World Wood Bat Association World Championship in Jupiter in 2013 and saw him. And I remember seeing Brendan McKay there and Alex Verdugo and all kinds of guys. Um, but I had not realized, I don't know if you guys know this, did you know that Braxton Davis has not played in organized baseball since that fall league game? Wow. He, he missed all of 2019. I think he broke his foot and then he got released during the pandemic. And he's bounced around independent ball a little bit. In fact, not he, he most recently played in Schaumburg, which is not too not too far from me. But he he has not played I in a, a another professional game or organized game and organized ball since he hit that walk off home run. I remember him getting released, but I for some reason I thought there was more time between the fall league and you know what I mean like well there was there was a full season, but he missed the full season because he, he broke his he, foot. You know, he had yeah. fallen off. He was he was a Braves top thirty guy uh, once upon a time, and just uh, he never he never figured figured it out at the plate. Uh, the the know, year he hit the walk off home run, Jonathan, he hit twenty homers in high A. He was repeating high A for the third straight year, but he also hit one seventy one with two hundred thirteen strikeouts. Yeah, that's a lot of strikeouts. So he struggled. And then I was just throw in like my, my non-playing memory. I remember talking to interviewing Daz Cameron and asking him about his father, Mike Cameron, if, if Mike had ever played in the fall league or given him any advice about it. And I'd never heard this before, but apparently Mike Cameron was ticketed for the fall league and got bumped to make room for Michael Jordan. <laughs> Which so I thought that was pretty cool. Like that, that's you know, John. I mean, we, we I don't know how many game stories we've done where you know you're you're going down after the game, do your featureized game story, and talk to the guy for you know five or ten minutes, and then do a quick five or six hundred word story, as you wouldn't want to numb anybody's minds by writing a longer story. And um, and I was not expecting that nugget from Daz Cameron. So that 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 one jumped out as well. That's pretty good. Daz Very quickly, nugget. Pete Alonso. By the way, that was you know the year he hit 36 homers in the minors uh, between Double and Triple A. Drove in 119. He was good in the fall league. I won't say he was great. He hit six more homers um, with an 849 ops. So like it was fine. And then obviously 2019 is his rookie year when he hit 53 homers. And apparently, I'm looking here. Daz Cameron was also from 2018. So apparently, I have no memories of the fall <laughs> league except for 2018. Um, those are my only memories. Hey, um, that's I, what I don't remember. Out, that's what stands out. Yep. Can you guys name the only pitcher who has ever been the league's most valuable player? Joe Black MVP award winner. That's uh, Tommy Hansen. That is correct. That's I think that's you know the one single season performance that stands out most to me uh, in, in my years here was how dominant he was. You know, pitchers don't usually dominate in the fall league. Um, he threw 36 and two third innings, gave up 13 hits in those 36 and two third innings, just 10 walks and struck out 64, uh, had a 0.74 ERA. And this is, you know, a league where pitchers are, you know, pitching out in Arizona, tough place to pitch to begin with. And then a league just stacked with hitters. And uh, he was just dominant every time out. Every time out. Yeah, no, that that's a good memory. And um, 
I mean, unfortunately, he's no longer with us, but uh, I just remember, I think it was a combination that he was dominant every time out and he threw enough innings. Like they didn't shut him down. You know, they didn't, uh, you, you know, uh, they didn't, weren't really monitoring. I think he went, you know, deeper into games more frequently than you would normally see. Like, so it was, it was a repeated uh, kind of thing that he, that he was, that he was able to do. Yeah. He uh, pitched for his team in the championship game as well. I remember that game looked like he was going to come out and just dominate that game as well. He did. He went five innings, gave up one run on three hits while striking out eight, but uh, the team uh, fell in the end. But yeah, that's uh, certainly uh, one of the uh, most dominant uh, individual performances I, I yep. recall in the Arizona Fall League. They probably lost to Phoenix, right? Was that during the Phoenix reign? It was during the Phoenix reign, yes, exactly. Uh, that Phoenix team featured Josh Donaldson, who had a big game. Um, Aaron Sebia was on that team. Jeff, is it Jeff Manship? Is that who, uh, that was the starter for? For Phoenix? Notre Dame product. Yeah. But yeah, Hanson, I mean, this, obviously this is nothing new. We talked about the falling enough and how it gets guys ready. I mean, it was the next year he made 21 starts for the Braves and finished third in rookie of the year voting. All right, guys, let's shift gears. We've talked uh, almost entirely, well, entirely here about the Arizona Fall League. Uh, quickly wanted to touch on something very important and uh, article uh, that Mark Feinsand uh, wrote a few days ago on uh, on the MLB.com website. You can find it on uh, MLB.com slash pipeline um, talking about uh, upcoming improved housing for minor leaguers. And this, of course, is uh, something that's very important to the many prospects that we cover um, and has been something that uh, there's been quite a bit of talk about. And uh, the league's 30 owners apparently closing in on an announcement for a new housing policy at all levels of the minor leagues. Well, I mean, obviously, it's it's good to see. I mean, I'm never going to own a team, so it won't be uh, my decision to implement. But, like, it just seems like teams are becoming more cognizant of the fact that if you improve physical health and mental health of your players, they're going to develop better. You know, we, we've seen more teams commit and, and I would assume we will continue to see more teams to trying to feed their players in a more healthy manner. Um, you know, salaries rose this year. I would hope we consider continue to see minor league salaries rise so that players can basically, you know, if I were had a team, I would want my players dedicated to, trying to develop into big leaguers. But unfortunately, you know, with what's gone on in the past, players haven't been able to do that full time. They haven't been able to eat well. They've had some guys, if, if you get promoted during the season with housing, wind up having leases on multiple apartments. And, and I think anything they can do, and hopefully we'll see more of it, Jonathan, to make life better for minor leaguers is probably going to pay off with, with better development of minor leaguers. Right. It's a, it, I think it's kind of a, a win win. And, you know, the, the, I agree with you, Jim, like this is a step in uh, a good step in, in, in the right direction. And the end result are the, these players who you want to help you win games and put people in seats and lead to larger TV contracts will be better once they, they get there and more ready. Um, it's all part of the development process. You know, it, it's, it's sort of been interesting sort of see over the years things that people have recognized you know i think there was a, a recognition uh i'm painting with a you know a bit of a broad brush but you know when players from the dominican or venezuela signed at 16 one of the biggest steps forward that teams would see is when they actually started like learning about new nutrition um you know so many of them came from poorer areas and that they didn't have that those kinds of opportunities or those resources and guys would get, you know, stronger right away and, uh, and, and bigger and would grow because they're, they're 16. 
And that, you know, it's, I think it's important for you know, all 16 year olds to sort of be able to do that. So that was recognized a while ago. And, you know, and this is sort of, you know, kind of part of that as well, just in, in terms of taking care of these players so that they have a chance to grow in, in, the, in the way you, you hope. And, you know, and beyond that, I think there's just, you know, uh, you know people should make a living wage in, in general, whatever it is that they're doing. So I'm glad to see that. Uh, this is moving in that direction. And the fact of the matter is that being a professional baseball player is a year round commitment, um, especially, you know, especially these days, you know, you'll fall behind if you're not working out all year round and, and they have off season workout regimens and things like that. So, you know, being able to set players up so they, they can afford to do that, uh, again, will enable them to develop better and probably faster and, and help the big league club out, which is what the, the end goal for owners, you know, should be. All right. In a statement, uh, MLB said we we're in the process of finalizing the details of that policy and expect it to be announced and in place for the 2022 season. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, you're listening to the MLB Pipeline podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. We are going to wrap up by answering a couple questions from the mailbag. The first one comes from at Friar Bad, who says, after some huge struggles and setbacks this season, including a stretch where his velocity sat 89 to 91, Mackenzie Gore opened the AZL with an impressive outing. Uh, that would be the Arizona Fall League, where he touched 98. Is it possible for him to regain the ground he's lost this season if he continues like this? I think definitely. I mean, I, like we said, I mean, it matters more. I think how your stuff looks and what the stats say, you know, in the small sample size that the folly is, I, I think the encouraging thing with Mackenzie Gore, and I'd heard from a pro scout who saw him pretty good at the end of the year is that this hasn't been injury related. It's, it's not like he had shoulder issues or his fastball dropped five miles an hour. It, it's largely been mechanical. It, it hasn't been health. You know, the, 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 the pure stuff's in there, maybe not as consistent, so if you can get him ironed out mechanically, then, then yes, I would be optimistic that he could, you know, move back up and, and be in that discussion as to the, the best pitching prospects in all professional baseball. And I mean, you know, the nice thing is with Gore is, I mean, what is he? 22, 23 now? He'll, he'll play all of the next, next year at age 23. Yeah. So he's not, you know, I mean, he, he's still ahead of the game, you know, I mean, like, like, yes, I would have thought we might've seen him make his debut last year. Um, during the pandemic, I would have thought we'd have seen him at some point in 2021, you know, based on how he left 2019. Um, but you know, if he makes it to the big leagues at age 23, uh, you know, nothing wrong with that. So I, so I am optimistic and, and, and so far so good in the early going in the fall league. Yeah, I think, you know, you don't want to put too much into the one start. It was good to see things tick back up. And I'm sure, uh, you know, Gore was is pleased where his, his stuff is. And uh, let, let's see him continuing in, in springboard into next year. You know, we're still talking about a guy who, as we said, is super young. He'll be at the upper, upper levels. You know, if this trajectory, this upper trajectory continues, then we're talking about a guy who'll be 23 years old making his major league debut, you know, if he had sort of developed kind of normally uh, or had been guy out, even out of college, uh, I don't think anyone would have looked at that and said, oh, my goodness, you know, what took him so long or why did he stall out? I think it was you know, because of what happened last year and, and this year that it seems like, boy, the, you know, the, the wheels have fallen off and, and maybe they did for a little bit. But, uh, you know, the stuff is so good and his you know understanding of what he needs to do is so good that. I did have some faith that he would be able to refine it, especially, you know, as we learned that it wasn't, you know, injury related, that I think that he's going to be just fine. In that first fall league outing uh, in the question mentioned that his fastball topped out at 98 miles an hour, 98.2 His average below on his fastball was 95.6 um, had 10 swings and misses in that game, four on fastballs, three on changeup, two on a slider, and one on a curveball. All right. One final question. This comes from Lionel Green at APHI Lionel on Twitter. He says, 
MJ Melendez had a breakout season, but won't unseat Sal Perez as Royals catcher. Can he move to another position? I mean, he could move to another position. I think he probably could handle another position, but he's a really good catcher. So I don't, you know, I, I guess it's a good problem to have. Um, you know, he went from being a guy who looked completely lost to being incredible, incredibly talented. Um, so I don't know if they decide to try to decide, uh, you know, maybe Salvador Perez starts playing some first base um, as, as an older guy and they share some time at first. You know, I, I think my guess is you send Melendez what back to AAA to start next year. There's no reason to rush him. Um, but it would be interesting to see if you start seeing him play uh, some infield positions. I mean, the the arm is something you'd want to see that could be used. I don't know if he could handle third. He's never played anywhere else, I don't think. So I, I he played you know, nine games at third this year. He did. He did. So yep. they're they're already thinking about that a little bit. I mean, it's he has a chance to be a really good defender. Um, so it it would be a shame. But, uh, you know, like I said, maybe the, you get his bat into the lineup and they can share some time and then you let Perez DH and, and, and you know, do things like, you know, of that nature to, you know, let him rest and get his uh, very potent bat into the lineup. Uh, you know, he's going to be 32 next year. Um, so maybe they'll, they'll be looking for ways to, to be able to lighten his catching load a little bit. Yeah, I think it'll take care of itself. I mean, it, it's crazy, A. I, I would have had the far under on 89 combined home runs by Salvador Perez and MJ Melendez <laughs> in 2021. You guys know, quick quiz, and we're not going to count the one home run he hit in a rehab stint, but in his parts of six years, about 350 games in the minors, how many home runs do you think Salvador Perez hit on his way to the big leagues? He hit 48 this year in 161 games. I'm going to say that he hit less than 48. So I'm going to say he hit. 30. How Jason, many how many games or, or played appearances? About 350 games. 350 games. I will take the I'm going to take the over on Jonathan's. Well, well you would be wrong cuz he hit 22 homers. Wow. Um, That's going 48 this year which were 21 more than his career high in the big leagues. But I, I think it'll take care of itself. I I, I agree with Jonathan. I, I think, you know, Melendez probably starts year in AAA. You know, even though Prez is somewhat of an Iron Man behind the plate, he caught 124 games this year. He'll be 32 next year. Catchers start to slow down. Given how crazy he went at the plate last year, while he also led the American League by throwing out 44% base stealers, you know, it probably behooves him to maybe do more of a, you know, 100 games at catcher, 50 games at DH type of thing. Um, you know, I know Melendez, Melendez played third base. He. Is a very good defender behind the plate. He doesn't have a lot of speed or, or, or great agility in the field. Uh, you know, you can't really put him at first base because you have Nick Prado coming, um, and, and Prado is such a good defender at first base and a good hitter too. I think third base is probably a little bit of a pipe dream. So I think what you probably see is a timeshare where, you know, maybe you know in 2023. Perez catches 100 games and Melendez catches 60 and they both see time as DH um, and then Melendez eventually takes more time because as good, as good as Salvador Perez has been I mean he's 31 now he was 31 this year uh, you know I, I don't think three four years from now he's going to be catching 120 130 games behind the plate all right that is going to be a wrap for this week's MLB Pipeline podcast don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode if you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions leave us a rating and a review thanks to Sam Dykstra for helping us out today and thanks to Lars Newbar for joining us on the show thanks to all of you for listening and we'll see you next week